0: Welcome to the Benito Juarez Experience. I am Juem Navarro Rivera.
1: And I am Luciano Joshua Gonzalez.
0: And today we are playing a little catch up. A lot has happened since the last time Luciano and I talked, uh, and apparently stuff is still going on in Honduras. I, I'm not saying, uh, apparently. Actually a lot of stuff is going on in the aftermath of the election. And so I wanna use this episode uh not just to just talk about Honduras a little bit of Luciano has been very uh abreast of what's going on over there after the election, but also uh give a little catch up on some of the stories we have work on this year. Uh and that are coming back, sometimes with a vengeance, uh, in terms of what's going on in the country. So we're going to start a little bit talking about Honduras and what has been going on since our last episode, uh, which was a few days before the election. Uh, and La Experiencia de Benito Juarez was a few days after the election, but uh, unfortunately, Luciano and I, couldn't get together uh to record that episode so I did a very short one and I didn't gave it justice uh to the what the events were going uh so I wanna give it justice by having Luciano talk again uh about what's going on in Honduras right now. Then we're gonna be discussing a little bit of the Johns Amendment, which was one of the first episodes, I think actually with the exception of the introductory episode that we did, episodes two and three were about the Johnson amendment, so it was the very first uh solo topic that we covered uh and it's coming back with a vengeance with the republican bill uh Another episode we did early on was the war on schools in North Carolina, and Luciano have a couple of updates about that and finally something that uh I did in in October, which was uh, discussing uh, DACA, and which was a special episode of uh, re-broadcasting a a talk I gave uh, here in D.C., Uh, So, but DACA is back in the news, so I also want to talk a little bit about what's going on. And so, without further ado, thank you, Luciano, for being back in track with us.
1: I'm happy to be back. Sorry about last week, but I was actually having a conversation with a Honduran friend of mine on his Facebook about ongoing events in Honduras. He was a Honduran who was born over there, but then went here. He went to New York to go to school, and he stayed there. And he is one of the local Getifuna people who lives and organizes Getifuna activism in New York.
0: So. In the, so, so thank you for saying that because one of the things, uh, that we want to do as a compliment to this update is, uh, to, can you give us an update before you get into the, 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 the whole update about Honduras into what you've been doing regarding Honduras because you've been writing, you've been in podcasts, you've been, so where can people find you?
1: So I was with my friend who's named Pablo. I will put the link to the video in this. That video was about two hours long. It was a video slash podcast. And we talked about Honduran history. We talked about Honduran politics. And we talked about the state of Gerifuna communities in Honduras right now and how they were affected by the election. For people who don't know, the Gerifuna are an indigenous group who live in Honduras. They are a mixture of indigenous individuals and African individuals who are descended from the wreckage of a slave ship in the late 1700s who met with local peoples and then started families and communities with them. They are one of Honduras' most notable indigenous groups, and they have received lots of attention internationally, but they are also constantly under the threat of the governments coming in and taking their lands profiting off of their culture without supporting them economically and generally just not doing anything good for them. So he was very interested in my opinions as someone who is a a historian, Latin American, and lived in Honduras, as well as someone who writes almost annoying, like an almost annoying amount about Honduras. And he and I chatted for a good two hours. I also wrote a letter to the editor For my local newspaper, the Greensboro News and Record, which talks about events in Honduras, it got published two days ago. I wrote a blog post when it seemed like the opposition leader had won the election, which were the initial results, before a series of things happened that we're going to be talking about later in the episode. And also, you can check out the Honduras Report, which is the newspaper that I edit, which I haven't done a whole lot of these last few days because of all the craziness. That's been going on in places like Tegucigalpa and San Pedro Sula. And yeah, so if you want to find me, just pretty much check out anything involving Honduras online. You can either find me or a few of my friends who've written things. I have an article that might be published in the next two days that I've sent to a Latin American newspaper. I'll be sharing that if it gets published before this episode is uploaded. It'll be in the description.
0: And for dating purposes, when was the OPE, uh, or the, the letter to the editor published? Because you're saying a couple of days the ago. Editor, but...
1: The letter to the editor was published on December 9th. I actually didn't see it myself until today because I had to work yesterday and the day before. Today is the 11th. Okay.
0: Well, so what's going on in Honduras now that you are back into it? So who won or do we know who won?
1: So, we know who won according to the official results. The official results were seemingly published yesterday. And in them, the National Party, which is the party of the incumbent, very narrowly, as in by less than 100,000 votes, were able to squeeze out a victory for Juan Orlando Hernandez, the incumbent, and apparently the president-elect. I don't know. The term president-elect applies to someone who's already the president. But apparently he's going to be the president of Honduras for the next four years. Although the opposition alliance is protesting this, they are demanding either a total recount or something unprecedented in modern Honduran history, a runoff election because of how insanely narrow the margin was. Since it was, the official numbers are that the national party has a hundred, one million four hundred twelve thousand votes. The opposition alliance has one million three hundred fifty nine thousand votes. So it's a very narrow victory of fifty three thousand votes for the national party. Wow.
0: Uh, so can you tell me and our listeners? how that happened because the last time i i, I had oh, one of the few times i checked your your twitter feed i believe or or maybe it was in facebook uh and you were like around the time the election's results were coming up at the beginning uh the day the election happened wasn't the opposition winning by about 5 percentage points and then Power went off or something like that, it's kinda like reminding me of two events which are very dear uh to to this household in where I live, right? Because in nineteen the nineteen eighty elections in Puerto Rico, something really similar happened in which the incumbent governor uh was losing the election until until power went off and then when the computers went back up, uh he was winning. Uh, and ended up winning re-election. And, and then in, in 1988 in Mexico, that's kind of like the way that, uh, Carlos Salinas de Gortari also won. So this is, this is a true and proven method of screwing up results. Uh, so is that, am I, am I correct that that's what happened or, or yeah. I missed something?
1: You are exactly correct. So what happened was, on Sunday, it was technically Monday morning, but it was Sunday night, the night the election happened, the very first results were published. The very first results were published with the idea being that the TSC, Honduras's Supreme Electoral Tribunal, had done all the data and they knew that it was virtually impossible for the results to be overturned unless fraud happened. And those initial results were the results that a lot of people have seen where it looks like Nasralla, the head of the opposition, the opposition candidate, won the election by five points. Those votes were only 43 percent of the total of the total electorate. And what happened over the next few days was gradually more data would be revealed. And as more data came to light, there was a suspicious trend where Juan Orlando would inch closer and closer to Salvador Nasralla. And then on Wednesday, at about midday from what I've read, power went out. And when the power would come back, the next set of data that would be revealed started showing Juan Orlando not only reaching Salvador Nasralla, something that was said to be virtually impossible, they actually showed him surpassing Salvador Nasralla by, at one point, almost two whole percentage points before they started to go back down and reflect the trends that were revealed last night with supposedly i think 100% of the vote in that's what they're saying i don't know if it's true though
0: okay so just to close off and if you want to continue to listen or, or to to know more about this follow luciano on twitter who's been very active uh and uh check the links that he's going to provide uh, from his writing, his uh, his appearances elsewhere, and and resources that he's been using. Uh, so I, I've seen also reports that uh, there has been protests, and people have died already?
1: Yep. The As of Friday, the number of people who were reported dead were 15. And as of Friday, the police had gone on protest and then stopped being on protest where they said that they were no longer going to repress the Honduran people, including U.S.-trained special forces, which floored just about everybody who wasn't a member of the police. I have multiple friends who were in Honduras when the protest started, and everyone universally was like, yeah, no, we, we weren't expecting this. When the police came out, we didn't know what to expect because they had already killed a few of us but them going on strike wasn't exactly something that we had anticipated.
0: And so that leads to, I, I would guess it's my final question on this issue, uh, and it has the, well, yeah. certainly the president hasn't said anything in Twitter, and we're you know we're, who we're talking about. Uh, and given that, uh, Secretary Tillerson doesn't have much of a say on anything these days, I think the question is kind of redundant. But has been there any, any statement from the United States on this?
1: So something that I actually didn't know was that the United States doesn't have an ambassador to Honduras. We did, James Nellen, for the very beginning of Trump's presidency, and then, Something happened and he was no longer the ambassador. But the current acting ambassador is Heidi Fulton. I'm gonna, I'm gonna double check that right now. But it, I'm pretty sure it's Heidi Fulton. Yep. And she has released various statements in English and in Spanish. And her statements have been kind of inconsistent. They have been both, we must respect the will of the Honduran people and then also saying things like, The, the election was kind of clean, which is not what the Honduran people are saying. So the closest thing that we have to someone making statements is Heidi Fulton, which is unfortunate for everyone involved, especially because US citizens have gone to Honduras and have tried to report on the election and they've been deported from Honduras and they've gone to the embassy asking them for help and they were reportedly told I don't know if I believe this, but this is what they're saying, that it wasn't the problem of the US embassy and that they needed to be grown-ups and to figure it out. It's definitely possible that this happened, but as someone who actually worked at that embassy, not even not even five years ago, I worked at that embassy. I would be genuinely surprised if that actually happened. But I joined other people in being like, hey, the acting ambassador needs to make a statement confirming whether or not this is the thing that actually happened. And if it did, the person who said that needs to be fired, because that is not how you handle the situation. But yeah, right now the U.S. in Honduras is being very strange. No one really understands where we stand aside from maybe the people in the State Department, which is always reassuring.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, Luciano, for that update. Uh, I think. You know this is a story that unfortunately will continue unfolding and so if you guys are really interested in it uh follow luciano luciano has been on top of of the story and uh we are moving on to our next subject which has been also in the news uh thanks to the Senate passing at the 11th hour or probably the 13th hour or the 23rd hour uh, of a a thing they call a tax reform bill, (laughs) which I'm not really sure if it actually does that, but uh, one of the things uh, that now the bill that was passed from the Senate has some difference with the bill that was previously passed by the House, so of course nothing is on President Trump's desk at of this moment. They have to go through conference, uh, and reconcile those difference unless the House wants to vote on the Senate version and then send it straight, uh, unamended and send it straight to President Trump. Um, but one of the things that is in, in one of the version of those bills is, uh, I, I believe it's the House version is a backdoor. Uh, repeal of the Johnson Amendment and for those of you who I mean if you're interested in this show, you're probably very interested in separation of church and state issues in the United States anyhow, but uh Luciano, can you give us a refresher of what the Johnson Amendment is, who, given that you were the person who defined it in our very first episode?
1: The Johnson Amendment is a provision of the tax code which refers to the status of certain uh, certain non specifically churches, and their ability to talk about politics, it impacts what it does specifically, is it prohibits churches from being partisan. Yeah, basically from being partisan. And there is this common narrative among Republicans that it does all these bad things to pastors and to churches, and it really doesn't. It doesn't prohibit the ability of pastors To talk about politics, it just prohibits them from naming specific candidates and either standing for or against those candidates at the pulpit, which is very important and is the part that people need to realize. But what the tax reform, if that's what we want to call it, which I guess is what we should for the sake of simplicity, if the tax bill gets all the way through and makes it to President Trump and President Trump passes it as it is, then the ability of churches to be partisan and to donate money, which is one of the things they couldn't do, they couldn't donate money sent to them to specific candidates, they will now be able to do this. Yes, I think
0: that's the... I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. And pastors will also be able to endorse specific candidates from the pulpit without risking their tax-exempt status.
0: Yes, and so... Secular organizations, of course, have been on top of this, the Secular Coalition, the American Human Association, Center for Inquiry, American Atheists, all of them have sent action alerts and they have uh, been doing lobbying uh, against this. But it's not only secular organizations that have been doing this, uh, I will also add Americans United for Separation of Church and State, but also good government groups. Uh, that are very concerned, especially groups that work on money politics, which, as Luciano mentioned, uh, to a large extent, the repeal of uh, this backdoor repeal of the Bajanson is gonna basically allow churches, uh, to serve as, uh, money laundering centers, uh, for, uh, politicians. And so we may be able to see uh, preachers wearing kind of like NASCAR type, uh, suits, uh, in exchange for donations, <laughs> uh, with uh, endorsing candidates, uh, from the pulpit, uh, maybe even having naming rights to churches that will be interesting. St. John the Baptist, uh, church featuring Roy Moore, uh, something like that. Uh, but it, 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 so, it, my large point uh, and i digress is that you know, there has been movement on this particular issue and so we wanted to give you an update of what what was been going on uh, in that regard another issue that we talked also early on in this show was uh the was the defunding of schools in North carolina or there was it a selective defunding of schools schools and coincidentally Democratic uh, or districts that were represented by Democrats uh, by the Republican legislature Uh, and our North Carolina uh, expert and correspondent is going to tell us now what's going on or did anything
1: happen? The specific things that we talked about apparently weren't able to pass all the way through. As far as I can tell, what ended up happening is that the bills were changed when they were trying to be reconciled before being sent to Governor Cooper, which makes sense. That's what a lot of people predicted would happen. But it was a good thing that that didn't stop the outrage because the NC Republicans' attempts to interfere with education haven't yet ended and one of the ways that this would happen later on after we recorded this episode the episode that talks about that issue in July there would be a moment when a lot of people were reporting on how the North Carolina Republicans cut a position or cut actually not just one position they cut several positions from the administration of education the school board people I'm trying to think of the right way to word that but basically the school board people And one of the things they did was they put in new people who supported their policies, including vouchers for private schools rather than investing in public schools. They tried to make things better for people who want to send their kids to private schools, which, as we've pointed out and as other people have pointed out, is not good because private schools are not an option for everyone. And private schools, even for the people that they're an option for, are risky because they teach things like young earth creationism. And they teach things like very bad interpretations of history, such as all those history textbooks that talk about slavery as immigration from Africa, which is not how that issue should be talked about for reasons that I hope would be obvious to any of our listeners. And it's important that we continue reporting on North Carolina's education, not just North Carolina, but also places like Texas and Florida where there are shady things going on in education, and we will be talking about those in future episodes. Unfortunately, in order to do them justice, it's best that we focus on the episodes where they're the full topics rather than relegating them to the side. But yes, the specific issues that we talked about in that episode, where we said that there were going to be places that were going to lose funding and places where the funding was going to go from a Democratic school district to a Republican school district, that appears to not have passed as far as I can tell and as far as reporters can tell because I made sure that that was the case when we talked about it earlier today, but yeah.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, and our final issue, it's uh, a more recent episode Uh, in which I, I gave a talk about DACA and it was mostly about kind of like the political, uh, antecedents of the policy and where we should be go from there after President Trump announced that he was going to rescind the policy, uh, next year. And well, not much has technically happened. Uh, since then, uh, there's no new Dream Act. I mean, there's new Dream Act proposals, uh, that were introduced at the beginning of the term, of the, of the congressional term, uh, but there's no new movement on those proposals, with the exception that now that, uh, as of this week, the government was supposed to end funding, uh, at the end of this week, and by this week I mean, uh, the 15th of December, it, I believe that the continuing resolution has been expanded to the week after. So if there is a government shutdown, it should happen around Christmas. Uh, but the negotiations are still out there and the Democrats are actually holding their support of any, uh, government funding to two particular issues, one of them being a resolution for DACA recipients, and the other being the renewal of the uh, Children's Health Insurance Program, also known as CHIP, uh, which uh, had, uh, and this is not technically related to uh, DACA, although it's part of the same package, uh, which expired earlier this year uh, because Congress never reauthorized it, and it's, uh, I think at the end of the year, it's going to leave. Uh, millions of children without health coverage, uh, ostensibly to give tax cuts to billionaires. Uh, but that's one aspect of DACA that has been in the news that that, uh, potential democratic, uh, lever, usage of their leverage, uh, to negotiate on the, uh, closing of the government. And the other one, it comes from uh, Trump's favorite senator, uh, Arizona junior senator, uh, Jeff Flake, who apparently said that part of his support for, uh, the Senate version of that's reform bill was dependent upon on a promise by it seems Mitch McConnell, the Senate majority leader to address DACA this year. Uh, so Jeff Flake has been one of the of the few Republican uh, supporters of of a of of a version of the Dream Act and have, have some not totally draconian version of immigration reform. Uh and and so that's those are the reasons why the the Dream Act has been recently in the news. One is basically that Jeff Flake thinks that something could happen, although nobody believes him. And the second is that Democrats are trying to uh, to force uh, a solution uh, uh, with the impending threat of a government shutdown.
1: Don't you always love when you hear the words government shutdown? Yeah. Uh, that's exactly what we need to end the year with. But yeah, thank of you course. for that update it, it on would, DACA. It,
0: it would be so 2017. <laughs> that we have oh, a uh,
1: non-functional government
0: well i mean <laughs> with a with a government that is officially not working because i mean at least the white house hasn't been very functional uh it's true and definitely congress has not been uh very functional so you know how, why not the actual parts of the government that are actually doing something let's just shut them down uh just but, make it
1: all consistent,
0: yeah, like yeah I mean collapse on itself um but I mean, that may mean that you know we may not have World War three to start because i mean if 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 uh I'm assuming that if the government doesn't work like the nuclear football goes off, right so, who knows uh but I mean please change the topic to, say, to finish on something more uplifting. More uplifting?
1: Um, well, the uplifting topic that I'm going to have us close on is the fact that this episode, a flashback to numerous horrifying and objectively awful news stories, is now over. Uh, for this week's episode, for this week's questions, I wanted to ask listeners what other topics you guys would like for us to go back to and close on in the future. Because lots of the topics that we talk about, virtually every single topic that we've talked about have been news stories that are in motion. We haven't talked a whole lot about the past as an isolated thing where we'll never see it happen or affect us ever again. Pretty much every single one of our topics have been news stories that are in motion. And the news stories that we talked about today, all of them continue to be living, vibrant news stories. So if you want to see us touch on any other of our past podcast episodes, please let us know. We would love to hear from you and to know what you guys want to hear either a refresher on or a continuation of.
0: And hopefully it's going to be one of the happier topics, uh, and not you asking us to go back to Charlottesville and what's been happening with white supremacy. Uh, but so that's going to be my question. It's like, please ask us to do something happier uh, than these kind of not very uplifting episodes. And with that, I am going to ask you to review the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, follow us on social media, and thank you for listening. This has been Juan Navarro Rivera
1: and Luciano Joshua Gonzalez. <laughs>